we are listening to Wake Up Call with Christina Previtt in my special hashtag FemSquire series today. Elizabeth Rosen Golander is my guest today. Good morning. Thank you for sitting for this interview. Well, thank you for having me. I'm of so course. excited. So I start out the same way with everyone. Where did you go to college and what did you think you wanted to be when you grew up? So I went to Rutgers because I am a child of immigrants. I'm the first generation born in this country. So my and I'm pretty much was raised as an only child. I have a brother, but he never lived with us. And so my mom had a very difficult time cutting the umbilical cord. So I lived at home and I went to Rutgers um, and I wanted to be Celine Dion when I grew up. And Ooh. I still want to be Celine Dion. Can you sing? <laughs> I guess that requires you to sing, right? Um, I love to sing. Um, I should ask you to sing right now. I'm not we won't do that. I'm not going to sing right now, but if, come see the karaoke competition <laughs> for the Bar Association. Um, that's pretty much all the singing I get to do these days. And so growing up, though, I had three options, being a lawyer, a doctor, an accountant. I'm really bad at math. I am not so good at chemistry or physics, so lawyer it was. I think that's how all of us ended up being lawyers. <laughs> I think so. We're the med school rejects. Exactly, exactly. Um, and so there really was no other option. I think I'd be a really good wedding planner, which is probably the opposite of what we do, right? You're the unwedding planner. I'm the unwedding planner. I'm the uncoupling specialist. Yes. But... I really love to plan parties and do things like that. So growing up, I thought I would do something cr more creative, I guess. But so what did you major in when you went to Rutgers? So your typical political science and women's studies. Fascinating. Um, because I knew I was going to go to law school. Okay. So you always wanted to be a lawyer. When did you give up on the Celine Dion dr dreams? Well, my parents were like, Aww. be realistic. Oh, no. <laughs> Which I appreciate because, you know, they, I was raised, I think, with a little bit, a little different mentality than people that were raised by people, by parents that maybe are raised, born here. Where and are they from? Here. Where's your family They're from? They're from the former Soviet Union. Um, so they you know, had to work really hard and hustle. They came here with no language, no money, wow. nothing. And they really had to build up and get reeducated here and learn the language. So for them, it was, you know, you have to pick a profession that we know that you're going to be okay type of thing and that you're going to be able to make a living. And, you know, you can become a singer after you become a lawyer and we know that we won't have to feed you forever. Yeah, you can go to karaoke on the weekends. Exactly, exactly. Are you bilingual? I am. I speak fluent Russian. Oh, that's so cool. I wish I was bilingual. Political science and then... Went straight to law school? I went straight to law school and finally got to leave New Jersey for a little bit. Where'd you go? I went to New England and Boston, which was amazing. I think Boston is probably my favorite city ever. Um, it was just a great experience. It was very different for me. It was the first time I actually got to live away from home. Um, but I joke around all the time. People are like, oh, law school was so hard. It was like the worst three years ever. If I could redo it, I would redo law school in a heartbeat. Those were the best three years I've ever had. I always ask that question because there's people that loved law school and there's people that hated it. There's not much in between. I loved it. I Why loved did you it. love it? What did you love about it? Because I am obviously one of those people that hated it. I don't know. I made really, really good friends that became like family. We were together all the time. I was living by myself in a really young, fun, vibrant city full of like 23 or 30 I don't even know how many colleges there are it's just a really young young town um the studying didn't bother me like I've always been okay just sitting and pulling an all-nighter and just 
chilling in the library and we had a lot of fun we studied hard but we 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 partied pretty hard too and it was your first experience away from home right right? so i think think that was part of it that was definitely part of it because i kind of was like huh there's nobody here and nobody's gonna know when i come home and this is amazing was your mom upset though that you left i think they were okay i think at that point you know you were a grown up. I was a grown then. up, right? And it was close enough that they came to visit when they needed to, when I could come home, when if I wanted to. So, so a lot of times where people went to college, they sort of stay there. Obviously, you didn't. So, you your home is New Jersey, right? I was yes, I was raised in New Jersey. I probably would have stayed in Boston if my parents weren't here, but they're here, so I came back. So what kind of law did you think you were going to do? So I was going to be the next Ari Gold. Um, I really loved Entourage when it was on TV. I really thought that I was going to do some type of entertainment or music law. But I got the opportunity to intern for Sony Music after my first year of law school um, in their headquarters in New York. And while I'm grateful for the opportunity, in case anybody there is listening to this, um, it was the most boring summer of my life. No. Why? What kind of work were you doing? Just contracts. I you mean, weren't sitting around with Celine Dion. I wasn't sitting around <laughs> with Celine Dion. You know, I was looking at famous people's contracts, but I wasn't hanging out with those famous singers or going to their events. And I guess eventually one day maybe I could have. But at that point, it just didn't suit my personality. I am not. You're people oriented. I am. I like to. I like to see people, talk with people, get to know people. I'm very social. So sitting in a cubicle 10 hours a day reading contracts was was horrible. Well, at least you figured that out yeah. before you got a real job doing that. Yeah, for sure. Because I feel like once you fall into something, it's really hard to get out of it. Yeah, it is. That And that would sound exciting to me. But now I won't think it is anymore. <laughs> I always thought it would be exciting to work for a fashion house or something in yes. fashion. But it would probably, probably be the, the same, same thing. Unless you're just playing in the store with the bags all day, right? Oh, no. Well, I guess in, the, in your capacity as a lawyer, you'd be doing right. the, the same reading thing. contracts. Yeah. So, yeah. So okay. Yeah, well, great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My dream job still is to be the editor-in-chief of Cosmopolitan magazine. That would be fun. Yeah. But that I always think fun. of Cosmo back in the Helen Gurley Brown days. Okay. Which I'm like a good 10 years older okay. than you. So you might not remember those. But anyway, I digress. So at some point you figured out this is not for me. What, right. did, what then? What did you think you were going to do then? So realistically speaking, I had no idea. I graduated um, in 2010. It's going to be I just got a email about a 10 year reunion for law school. Mm, which that's scary. Very trippy. Um, and it was, the market was still not good. Um, after the crash, there were still not that many jobs out there. So it was just a matter of getting a job. It wasn't even, let's choose something I like to do. And I got very lucky because I'm bilingual and because I speak Russian, I found somebody in Brooklyn slash Manhattan who was looking for a Russian speaking attorney. Was it a member of the Russian mob? It was not (laughs) the member Which I guess you and couldn't it, I, say if it I was. I was going to say, and even if it was, <laughs> I don't know that I could tell you that, but we can talk after we press the recording off. Okay. Um, but I got, I, it was just, I fell into it at the right place at the right time. She was looking for somebody Russian speaking, and that's why I got the job, and that was family law. Wow, family law. So 
What did you think? So I guess you liked it. You're I, still around. Yeah, you know, I think it suits my personality. It has a little bit of everything. I mean, are there days where this is very difficult to deal with? Because, you know, nobody comes to see us when they're happy or no. when something good happens. And we meet good people at the worst times of their lives. And perhaps they're acting not like themselves, we'll say. That's true. But I think it's something different every day. I mean, every case is different. The set of facts is different. It's not... It's not boring. It's definitely not boring. And it does get repetitive, though. It gets repetitive, I think, you know, the procedure wise, like every case has certain things. But, you know, there's still cases that kind of give you a run for your money in terms of being creative and trying to figure out a solution and essentially really trying to help somebody out of a situation that they're miserable in. I think lawyers really are professional problem solvers. I agree with you. I think especially in divorce and family law. I agree because, you know, I tell people a lot that it's emotional for them, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not emotional for me. That's right. And I think that's the biggest challenge is that the cases are not that difficult, most of them. I think most cases can be figured out in a few hours with, you know, you could sit down, look at the numbers and figure it out. Like there's no reason for a case to drag on for two years. It's true. Um, Until people stop being emotional about it which they'll they never will be because it's their life that's why and i think that that's why they hire us to take the emotion out and try to get them to the finish line a little quicker is that why they hire us i don't know i i think sometimes people do hire us for that but sometimes and and these are the cases that i i really don't enjoy at all is when it's they're really trying to be vindictive and you know or doing something for the prince it's the yes, principle. principles are very expensive i right. have learned right it's but, the principle. well if you want to pay me to do the principle of it i get it but i try to i try to steer them in the opposite direction yeah. like just let it go i think that's what a good attorney does just yeah. let it go so you were working for someone else for a while so i worked in new york for about two years and then i had a case with somebody in new Ju- that their office was in New Jersey in Hackensack and I did well in the case and she asked me if I knew anybody that was looking in New Jersey and I was like well I live in New Jersey and I but I was only barred in New York at the time I said but I'll study and I'll pass the bar like you have to hire me and she did and I started off working three days a week for her and then studying and I passed the bar and then I I started working in Hackensack which was difficult because I lived in Middlesex County so I did that commute. For yeah, her. that's a long commute. It was a, it was a very, it was, it was a longer commute than Brooklyn, which was, wow. which was crazy. That does sound crazy. Um, I have to ask you though, why didn't you take the New Jersey bar? You were from New Jersey. I was going to be a big shot yeah. New York attorney. Yeah. That was probably going to do entertainment law. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, you were going to be a mover and shaker. Right. And we were going to read about you in page six. Exactly. Exactly. And Yeah. And then the commute. The and com- then reality the set commute, in. The commute set in. And I lived in New Jersey. And I was like, I can't do this. I can't drive. I can't commute to, to New York anymore. Um, and, I mean, I wasn't going to work 150 hours a week at a corporate law firm either. Because yeah. I knew that that's not the lifestyle that I was going to want. Um, but I wanted to be a lawyer. So New Jersey is definitely a better fit. Did you ever think in those days that it might be nice to one day have your own firm? 
So I've, I think I've always been very business oriented. Um, my parents have always been very business oriented, especially my dad. He's always had his own business. Um, so I've grew, I've grown up in that type of situation and I've always thought that I would probably either want to be a partner somewhere or have my own firm. And that became evident to me because every place I've ever worked, I've treated as though it's my firm. I've been invested as though it's my firm because in my eyes, it doesn't matter that I just work here. Like if I'm invested and the firm does well, then I'll do well. So, you know, I was as happy getting a retainer or getting retained when I worked for somebody else as I am today when I get retained on my own. That feeling has not changed. So I've always tried to act as wherever I'm working is my own firm because for me, it was important for the firm to succeed. That's excellent. It is hard to find an associate that thinks that way. I think it's, I think I agree with you. I think it is hard because, you know, it wasn't my firm and I was getting a paycheck and I wasn't getting anything extra if the firm did well. But to me, that was, that's just it's in just my part mind. part of your work ethic. It, it really is. And that's what was, you know, beaten into me as yeah. a child. What kind of will. business does your dad have or did he have? So he has a medical testing company. Well, my dad is like a jack of all trades and it's just crazy what he's accomplished. So when he came here, he re-educated himself and he was essentially a computer programmer consultant for a very, very long time. And then after 9-11 happened, a lot of positions were outsourced and it started becoming more difficult. So he again reinvented himself and he has a medical testing company, which essentially he has doctors that he associates with and works with and he has a neurologist um part of his company and they do medical testing like vestibular functionality so if you're dizzy and you don't know why he has these machines then you can go to your doctor and get a I test just, done and i just have to ask you does it involve bunny rabbits no bunny rabbits <laughs> no bunny rabbits that i know of um so yeah that's okay what he does now. good <laughs> That's awesome. So you had really good influences at home. I did. And my mom, too. I mean, she went back to work when I was like eight weeks old. She worked in the wow. city. My parents both worked in the city for most of their careers. My mom worked in the fashion industry her whole she career. She did? We have she to talk. Did. She did. What did she do? She was a um, technical designer and quality control manager. So she... Going to work with her was so much fun when I was little because we would go to like the factories where all the clothes were. We always had to get, you know, have a nice lunch and go shopping. So she worked in the fashion industry for like 30 years. That's all. Well, you're a little bit of a fashion plate, I, I do. will say. I you always look nice. Thank you. We could tell you put some effort into that. Thank you. I like it. Thank you. Okay. So you're working for somebody in Hackensack. How long were you there? So I was only there about a year, and I probably would have stayed longer. I really had a good relationship where I was, and they treated me really nicely while I was there. So, But somebody sent me an ad that somebody was looking. and Closer to home? Pretty much two miles from my house. Oh, yeah, that's hard to say no to. Yeah, so I wasn't going to apply, and then I was like, ah, the market is tough. I'll apply. It's not like I'm even going to get a call back. And then I got a call back, and I went on the interview, and I'm like, oh, but it's not like he's going to hire me. And then I got the offer, three minutes from home. I couldn't pass it up. And, and how long were you there? I was there for three years. Did you go on your own after that? Right after that. So when did you f start to feel like, you know, I think maybe it's time. It's time for me to have my own thing. Um, so there were some circumstances that came up after I had my second baby um, with where I was working that 
you know, made me feel that maybe it's time to to do it on my own, that maybe I need a little bit more flexibility with two small children. And, you know, the people that I was working there with, the other associates that I became very, very close friends with, one had left during my maternity leave with my second son, and then one was leaving um, after I come, came back. She she moved away, and I was very, very close with them. And I, I don't really like change. Like, that's one of my weird really? characteristics. I am a, I'm a creature of habit. I don't adjust well to big changes. It takes me a long time. Um, and so... Are you a cancer? I am a cancer. <gasps> no. How did you know? Because my boyfriend is like that and he's a cancer. I'm one of those people that when we used to go on vacation <laughs> when I was little, like I would cry for like days no. after because I'm like, I don't want to leave. Or like if summer camp <laughs> oh, I, I do that too. <laughs> I know. But like, I hate change. I hate change. Okay. So they left and it was just different. Things changed. There were circumstances that made it apparent that I was not going to become a partner there and which is you know not an unusual story all of this it's right. not and so after my friend left it was kind of like now or never now's the time and if i'm gonna do it i have to do it i think it was the right time yeah i think it was the I right think time you know. for me i think you just know some sometimes it slaps you in the face and i think that's what happened yeah it, it kind of slapped me in the face and sometimes the universe isn't subtle and if it, it and like i said it was either then or it wasn't going to happen at all and i think that everything happens for a reason yeah. and that it was the perfect time. And I'm just grateful that I was able to do it when I did it. Well, how long had you been practicing a lot by that point? About five years. Oh, that's not really that long. No, five or six years, I think. Six years. Six years. Did you feel ready? Like, did you feel like you pretty much... you? you got this, you know, you could do this on your own. I mean, I was obviously nervous because I went from an environment where there were other lawyers around me. And when I opened up my own firm, there weren't, it was just me and a paralegal. So there wasn't really anybody to brainstorm with or collaborate with, um, in terms of on a daily basis in the office, the way I was used to, but Realistically speaking, I was working unsupervised for several years already. Okay. And I didn't so have it. So it was the same. It was the same. Nobody was checking my work. Nobody was really strategizing with me. I didn't have a boss that, you know, was involved in my cases. So I still had my friends and colleagues that I'm very close with then and today. And, you know, we have our group chat. So I knew that if I had a question and I have some mentors in Middlesex County that I knew if I had a problem or a situation that I didn't know how to handle that I could reach out to them. So it really was no different than working at a firm because I was kind of running solo yeah. anyway. Yeah, I think I've heard that story from a few people too. Actually, my my business partner, Sean Knocklinger, had that experience. It's like, it wasn't much different, but I get to keep all the money now. <laughs> <laughs> well, and pay all the bills. There's right. that too. Well, there's that too, which you don't really realize. <laughs> That's the one thing you don't really realize when you work for somebody else, how many bills there are to pay. You just think that it's really your true. boss is rolling in it and you don't, oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you don't realize that, uh, yeah, there are a lot of expenses. That, <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> stuff you don't even think about. Exactly, like you are a grown up now. Yeah, uh, I think that was definitely my experience as an associate, and I don't. I think it's probably most people's experience as an associate. You think that your boss is just raking in all this money, and you don't actually see what they actually have to do to keep business coming in the door. Just have the office just running smoothly every day. There's so much more that goes into it. 
granted, given both situations, I'd rather be on my own. I've just, you know, the, even weighing all the pros and cons, I like being on my own better because of the flexibility and the freedom. I definitely don't regret it. I also don't think it's for everybody, though, to no, be honest. I don't think because so. Because I think, I mean, was it easier to work for somebody? A hundred percent. In some ways, In some right? ways, it was because you leave when the day is over and your day is over. And I feel like... Was it really, though? For me, I think it was. Yeah. I really grinded it out while I was there. And I mean, were there circumstances where I was there until midnight if I had to be and worked on some weekends if I had to? Yes. But I'm just saying, generally yes. speaking, I was able to yeah. finish my work between work hours and go home and kind of shut my brain off and not worry. And I didn't have to worry whether cases were coming in or not. I'm getting, yeah. you know. But yeah, now, that's true. Now there's really no shutting off. You know, there's working at night after you put the kids down and making sure that the website is supposed to is running the way it's supposed to, and the Facebook is working, and the the blogs are getting written, and all of these little things, and running cases, and going to court, and going to mediation, and people management, managing your staff, managing the staff, which is the, not my favorite. I mean, managing not my favorite either. Managing the office is not my favorite thing to do. Yeah. Like I like being a business owner. I like having the firm. I don't like managing people. I don't like having to have difficult conversations because I I tend to think that I I'm, I feel like I'm too nice in a really? way. I don't like yelling at people. I don't like it's funny for an attorney. I don't particularly like personal confrontations. Like I have no issue going to bat for a client in court and getting, uh, you know, adversarial when I need to with an adversary or you know, doing what I'm supposed to do lawyer wise, but on a one-to-one basis, personally, I'm not the most confrontational person. I, you know what? I, I tend to agree. People who know me are probably laughing hysterically on the floor right now, but I don't like it either. I hate having to do it. And I think that it's just different when you're doing it on behalf of a client because you're fighting for them. Exactly. And that's what they're paying you to do. Exactly. And it's not personal for you. There's no emotion attached to it. But when you have to advocate for yourself and you know for your business, right. there is emotion attached to it. Right. And I do struggle with that too. It's absolutely my least favorite thing about having a business is the people management, especially when it comes time to tell someone that, you know, they, they're not, you know, like I'm performing up to par. I'm sorry, but do you think that you could please maybe not up anymore? Yeah. um, (laughs) Let's get rid of the, I'm sorry. And the please. I know. I know. (laughs) So, Um, but I'm also trying to, you know, I've worked in situations where we'll say that the staff was not always treated as nicely as maybe they should have. Mm -hmm. So I really, when I opened this business, I try to do kind of the opposite of whatever was ever done to me or to the staff that I worked with. Um, So I try to live by that. And I hope that, you know, that's appreciated that I really try to treat people the way they want to be treated and not like your typical, well, I don't give a crap. Yeah. You don't like it too bad. Yeah, I mean, I try to do that too. And I think that's probably the better way to do things. And I think overall it works. I think, you know, I have a really, really great team in place right now. And they all do a great job. And I don't have to yell at anybody or scream at Ooh. anybody, which is wonderful. Um, and so I'm hope I'm, you know, I'm one of those people I think you get more, what is it, more bees with honey type of yeah person. yeah you get more with honey than vinegar right is that the saying? I think, but at <laughs> we'll, least I we'll google that later yeah now i i'm i'm with you on that that's been something i've struggled with a lot and 
I don't know, maybe to some degree still do. But something that's always bothered me is I've always felt my direction sometimes is received differently than my partner John's direction is received. And I do think there's a difference there because he's a man. And And because if you're a woman, you're a... Yeah, you're a bitch. You're we a can bitch. curse. Oh, we can curse. Okay. It's funny. I was just uh, interviewed Jen McCaskill a couple of days ago, and we had this very conversation that we were referring to ourselves as bitches. And then I said, you know what? I'm not going to call myself a bitch. I think we should just stop doing that. We should stop referring to ourselves that way. We're not bitches because we're asserting ourselves. I 100% agree with you. I think that if I was a 50-year-old man that people would look at me a lot differently yes. than my age as a woman and look at me more as a authoritative authoritative figure yes. and it would be easier to be the boss if I was a 50-year-old man. Yeah. Um and if you're a woman and you act like a 50-year-old man then you're automatically a bitch and it's not fair because what are you supposed to do? Just not be the boss yes. just because you're a woman. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure how, how we're supposed to be the boss. If it's just, it's never going to be received well. Right. And this I'm generalizing. Obviously Agreed. there's plenty of people right. that don't have that problem, but it's a thing. It's a thing. It's a thing. So uh, what have you learned about that? I mean, do you read books? Is it just, did you take communication skills training? (laughs) I did. I took coaching. I didn't um, yet, but I I will attribute, and he's, I joke around that, you know, if I ever get divorced, I'm not giving anybody a piece of the business. And for my husband, who's probably going to listen to this and roll his eyes is. Be like, oh, fat again. And he's going to be like, (laughs) 50% is mine. Um, My husband works in a corporate environment. Um, and he has a lot of experience in managing people and dealing with those types of situations. So I really, and so he recognizes that it's a thing. So he does. And he, he's really good with advice on how to handle situations at work because I've always worked in a smaller environment where it's different and, Um, it's nice to get his perspective because he's, he always has a fresh perspective on how to deal with an office situation or a problem. And I will say that a lot of times it's the better way to deal with it. Well, again, because he's not emotionally attached to it. Right. Right. You know, if, if we're in, in that situation, we are triggered because we feel like we're being disrespected. Right. Well, at least that's for me. I can speak for myself. That's always what triggers me is I feel like I'm being disrespected and that's what I have a problem with. I think uh, it depends on the situation. It depends on the people. I joke around and I say it's a temporary problem that once I start getting more gray hair and get a little bit older, it'll probably solve itself. I was going to say, what do you mean? You mean after you fire them, it no. goes away? <laughs> <laughs> Just have to become old <laughs> for them to take uh, me seriously. I don't know. I don't know. I that's interesting. I sh- we should talk to someone who's a couple generations ahead of us Maybe. and see what they think. And I think it's hard. I mean, for me, I think it's hard too to to act like somebody's boss when realistically everybody in my office is either my age or maybe even older than me. So I think there's only one person here that's, or maybe two people that are younger than me, but we're all pretty much within f- five years of each other if 
no more than that. So I think that's that's something that I've I've had to get used to and learn how to deal with because how do you tell your somebody the same age as you what to do? Like I get it, you're the boss, but well, do you think weird. that's in your head or theirs? Um, I don't know. Maybe mine, maybe theirs, but I mean, I don't know how I would be get taking direction from somebody my age either. I don't well, know. Well, I will say that I've had some older women work for me and I did feel like there was this attitude like, who the hell are you? I'm like twice your well, not twice my age. I'm getting old now, but <laughs> you know, I'm like twenty to thirty years older than you. Right. I'm like, what are you now? So I don't have any of that here, but I, I would probably have a hard time telling somebody significantly older than me what to do, I think. Well, I think the way that I look at it is I don't I don't have some kind of head trip because I'm the boss. Right. You know, I'm, you know, at work, I'm just trying to mind my business, like literally trying to pay attention to my business. I'm not sitting around thinking about, well, I'm the boss and, you know, she better do what I say. No. But sometimes I think they're thinking that, you know, (laughs) but I think, you know, it's funny. I think that's just natural because I think that's how we thought when we had bosses, too. And. Well, you know, I didn't have female bosses and I do feel like there's just a different dynamic that exists when it's two women as opposed to a male and a female or, or even two men. I don't know. Maybe they have their own drama. I don't know because I'm not part of that. So I've had two female bosses and I've had one man boss. Um, and I will say that I think I don't know that there was a big difference, to be honest, with how they treated me or what they expected. But I did not realize what they had to deal with Mm -hmm. until I stepped into their shoes. So many occasions where I would probably huff and puff and roll my eyes when I worked for somebody else on the other side of it. And I'm like, I get it now. I get it. Why she like flipped out on me for this or why he was mad at me for that. Or like why not even at me, but like in general, why, why did they blow up over this? It's not even important, but now I get it. Like they were juggling so much stuff at the same time that it may have seemed stupid and minuscule to me, but it was just one out of 10,000 things they had to deal with that day and it added up and it added up and it yes. added up. But yeah, those are things we get now because we own a business. Right. And that's definitely something that I wasn't cognizant of at all 100%. when I was an associate. So some of that's not really even a gender thing. No, it's not. And like, and that I think that ties back to this isn't for everybody. Yeah. Like there are people that I think are equipped to, I joke, work 24 hours a day and you know, they use I, cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> I used to joke that, uh, which I'm totally anti-drug, but I used to joke like, I wish I could just do cocaine because I could just get so much work More done. done. Right. Well, I mean, there are people that are, you know, shut off at five o'clock and they don't, they don't want this. They don't want this life. They're okay. And they don't want the responsibility of having to check emails and do stuff when they're on vacation. Cause there's really no, I mean, a hundred percent, I think time off. Um, And there are people that are not. But I think I'm equipped for this. I think that this is what I was supposed to do. I, I like it. I wouldn't have it any other way. Well, I always hear with business coaching and, and things like that, that you have to really do something because you love it. You can't just do it because you think it's going to make you a lot of money or, you know, because it's paying the bills. You can't sustain that. No, I agree with that. And I think especially in this type of law, I think family law, if you don't, Listen, are there days we all come to work as family law attorneys and think, why? 
why did I choose this type yeah. of practice and what is wrong with me? And how many times have I had a non uh, fully family law attorney in a case ask me, this is all you do? Yeah. Why? How? How is it possible? Um, and so there are those days, but I, what do you say? I'm like, <laughs> because I'm certifiably insane. What do you mean? Um, but there, I will say most days I can genuinely say that I like this area of law. I think it, I make a difference. I do like my clients. I do like to go to court. I do like to litigate, even though I complain about it. I do like it when I'm in it, when I'm in it, I love it. And yeah. so I think I, I definitely agree with you that if, if this is going to sustain long term, you have to like it because this area of law, you, you won't survive if you don't. No. It, yeah. You have to learn. And I think the biggest thing for me is you have to learn not to take things personally. It's 100%. not your life. It's not your case. And that doesn't mean you don't care, but you cannot get so close to the case emotionally that every win or every loss is affecting you personally. You have to be able to just go home and turn it off. I agree with you. And I think it took me a little while to get there. And I think that's normal, especially the first few years of practice. I really did take it home with me and it really weighed heavy on me. Um, you take it personally. Like you feel like I failed that my client, my client, or I just emotionally would get, you know, invested because I would want to do good by them. And I still do. I still think that I do care. And I think, if you're going to be a good family law attorney, you have to, to a degree, somehow care, right? And you do care yeah. about your clients. For me, it's not taking it personally with my biggest pet peeve is when an adversary takes it personally, because yeah. I really, really can separate, you know, this isn't our life. Like yes. it's not you and I getting divorced. I understand you're advocating for your client and I'm advocating for mine, but we should be able to deal with this in a manner that we can go have a drink after or like remain colleagues or have lunch together. Yeah. And, so that's my biggest pet peeves is when an adversary makes it makes it personal or starts, you know, taking digs that it's like this is about the case. Like, what's yeah, wrong with you? I, I have a problem with that, too. I think that actually makes family law sometimes more un intolerable for me than even the clients. And, and, you know, when they're unhappy, it's really the adversaries because I can understand why the client is unhappy. Right. They're getting a divorce. Right. But why is my adversary being nasty to right, me? Right, right. You know, this and isn't I, about us. This yeah. isn't about us. Like, just let's get it done and move on. Yeah. So. I don't know. I think there's a lot of people out there that are practicing family law that are pretty miserable doing it. And they really should just go find something else. I mean, you're not trapped. That's what is a conversation for another show. But go find something else. Right. You know? Well, and that goes back to what I said is that you, you can't just do this for money. No, it's not sustainable. You can't. You can't because you will drive yourself crazy. Yes. And I think that any long term practicing family law attorney will say that it, it can't just be about the money because it's too difficult of a practice area, I think, to do long term if you're not genuinely interested in it. I agree. And if you in whatever it is, whatever you're doing, if you're, you know, have a hot dog stand. Right. If you don't love it. If you don't love those hot dogs. Yeah. It's just not. It's, you're, just not gonna it's you're not. It's not going to be sustainable because you're going to go home at night. You're going to, you know, have what do they call it? The Sunday scaries. Yeah. I always say it's not Monday. It's your job. Right. <laughs> you hate your job. Right. It's not Monday. I agree with that. I agree with that. It's kind of like you need to have a purpose. Yeah, definitely. So. What did you find to be some of your biggest um, challenges, I guess, when you first started your business? So when I started, like I said, it was just myself and a paralegal. 
I think the biggest challenge, of course, at first was managing everything on my own. Um, so the first, I think it was seven months before I hired an associate attorney. So for the first seven months, you know, I was in, I lived and breathed in this office. I was here at seven, seven thirty in the morning, eight o'clock in the morning. And there I would go home, put the kids to bed because I lived at that time, two miles from my office, put the kids to bed and come back. And I would be here until 10, 11 at night. Wow. That's um, a long day. And there was no choice because I was the only attorney, so I had to do all the legal work. I had to do all of the office work as well. I had to do all the billing. I had to do. I had to pay all the bills. There was nobody. There was nobody to help. I mean, my paralegal is amazing. She's been with me since day one, and she helped a lot. And she stayed late. And she really, really is one of those people that you can depend on and count on. But it was just the two of us, and. It, there was there was a lot of work. It was enough for probably two or three attorneys that to handle oh. that I was handling on why, my own. Why didn't you just hire associates? Because when you open a business, you don't really know what you're capable of, right? Yeah. You don't know what you can afford. You're scared. You don't know. You don't want to overextend. You don't want to make mistakes. You want to make sure. And I'm one of those people that I'm a planner. I don't just do things. So I'm one of those people that will measure something 55 times before I cut it, you know? So You probably read the directions before you start putting something together. I definitely do. I, I read don't. the directions. <laughs> I, directions are for pussies. Yeah, I guess so. So <laughs> I definitely read the directions. Thank uh, you, but Christina. Then you do, well, you know, but then I'm the one who ends up with extra parts on the floor. Right. And I'm and like, then, oh, and they're probably not that important. And then the car will like fall <laughs> apart. And she's like, well, I didn't read the directions. Um, so <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> so I was nervous I was nervous to hire people I was nervous to you know grow too quickly people are like you shouldn't grow too quickly you know that's a mistake so so are, are these like all the older attorneys I say older but you know more experienced attorneys giving know. you this advice I don't know if anybody actually gave that advice but I was just very cautious I didn't want to grow to grow too quickly and then have to downscale because you know it was a fluke or whatnot so I was I tried to be mindful and careful before making any moves, but yeah, the first the first seven months were kind of like treading water. So how do you know if it's if you're exercising caution or if it's just fear? I don't know, I guess. I guess they kind of go together, right? Yeah. Because you're, if you're uber cautious, it's probably because you're nervous about something, or maybe it's just my personality, but... Well, it looks like you did get over it. Yeah. The fear of hiring people because you've got a staff. I do. I do. And because it was, you know, it was well, not sustainable anymore for yeah, me to oh, do everything. Okay. That's what I, well, that was my next question is at what point were you like, I have to hire people? I think like seven months in when I was essentially out of the office every day, either on a mediation or in court, or I was not, I didn't have, I physically didn't have enough time to do the legal work and do the court appearances and see potential new clients and do the, like there just wasn't enough of me to go around at that point. Yeah. And it was something has to give or it's all going to blow up because there's not enough time. Yeah. I, I mean, at some it. point you start to worry. Cause that's what I think when, if I see associates getting too busy is their work product product is going to suffer. Right. And then that puts you in a potential malpractice situation, right. which I'm always mindful of. So, so I, I just I just couldn't do it. And I wasn't seeing my kids and I have a family and, you know, and I get it. It's your business. You have to work hard. But 
I was dying. Yeah. <laughs> Simply put, it was There's not. only so many I hours in a day. It. I couldn't take it anymore that way. So what do you have now in terms of staff? So I have three associate attorneys and I have enough counsel. Um, we have two paralegals, an office manager and a receptionist slash paralegal. She kind of does a double role. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. I hope that you look back on all of this and your empire here. <laughs> And I hope you're proud of your accomplishments. I am proud. I am proud. Um, I'm humbled by it, too. I think, you know, there's been a lot of examples that you and I both can think of where people have had it all kind of and then not. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I'm mindful of that. I, I try to stay humble. I try to be present and be involved and but I am proud I'm really proud and I really love the people that I get to work with every day and I'm really just grateful and thankful that they're here and yeah that's awesome that's all we can hope for right yeah so what's in store for you is this the end of the road what I'm looking at now is this it for the next like I don't know 30 40 years well I hope not I really hope that we continue to grow um I would really love to open another office um and oh, another location. I would Where? love to open another location. I don't know yet, um, but another office would be great. I think that's the that's the goal. Um, and then just, I guess, continue trucking along. I don't see myself, you know, retiring anytime soon, that's for sure. Um, so I'll be here. What about your role in the firm? Are you, because you're a manager and you're also practicing law. Yes. How do you... What percentage would you say is law and, you know, the manager hat? So I think that that was a big kind of eye opener when I opened the firm as well. Um, yeah, I talk about that a lot that we don't realize until we actually start the business that we're we're running a business. Right. It's not just about have, sitting at your desk and practicing law. 100 percent. And I think that a lot of people that don't necessarily have businesses the size of our businesses um, don't understand that. I think it's different. It's, it certainly was different when I was by myself. Um, I think there was an ability to practice law a lot more when you're just managing yourself and one other person. Um, there's a lot more to do when you have an office the size the office is. And that was the eye opener that I don't essentially have the luxury of taking on as many cases as I would want to take on because of other responsibilities that people don't really get. Yeah. Um, so I am still practicing and I still go to court. I was in mediation last week. I have, you know, oral argument next week and I just finished, you know, the longest trial of the century. So I'm still very much involved. A divorce trial? A divorce trial that spanned for like, we start, we just finished, we finished last month and we started in Jul June, in June. Mm. So I still very much practice and I still very much enjoy it. But do I get to practice and have the size caseload that I used to have? Certainly not, because I have other responsibilities that nobody else can do. Yeah. Yeah. You, uh, we've experienced the same thing in my office. So I'd like to end each interview with a series of five questions. Okay. Some of this, I feel like there's a little overlap, but what's the best business advice that you ever got? I think the best advice I got and I continue to get is I, I want to say it's from my family. It's not from like any other lawyers or anything like that. And it's just to be confident and that you know that you're making the right decision and just kind of be confident in your decisions. And, you know, you haven't done anything that 
has kind of blown up in your face yet. So you have to. And it won't. And it won't. And so they've always, they've always been kind of like my encouragement and they've always pushed me. And they're the ones that are kind of like, you can do this. Like you, this is what you're meant to do. And the best business advice I've gotten is them encouraging me to do this and reassuring me that I will be successful and that if I put my mind to it and I am one of those people like if I say it's going to be done it's going to be done no matter what and so their encouragement helped me um, yeah get it done well I was going to say you are you are successful it's you. you know present tense thank you thank yeah. you what's the best life advice you ever got I think the best life advice I've ever got recently is actually life advice that I give myself and to other people I've really been trying to live by this motto that you cannot worry and you cannot stress yourself about things that are not within your control. Great advice. Um, and Do you I, practice that? I've been really trying to. I've been really trying to because I think that there are so many stressors in life, in everyday life, and a lot of them are beyond our control and things that happen that are not always because of things that we do personally. And so I've really tried to live by, I can't stress it's beyond my control or you can't worry about things that you can't change or yeah. that, that have nothing. You, you have no power to, to change this circumstance. Yeah. And so I think that's, that's, I think that's excellent advice. I've seen, you know, similar things, you know, the Facebook quotes. I love all the Facebook. Yeah, quotes. Me too. I mean, there, there's a lot of wisdom in Facebook <laughs> or Instagram, <laughs> but it's, there was one that said something like worry has never solved the problem. It's true. It's true. And I've really been trying to, because I have, I juggle a lot. I mean, I have three small children. I have the business. I'm still practicing. Like there's a lot. And so if I get caught up in the worry and the, anxiety and anxiety of it yeah. nothing's gonna get done so i really try to just worry about things that i can control and then i could manage myself i think that's great advice what person do you most admire and why just one celine dion Ooh, well, no <laughs> well you can pick more than one um i <laughs> celine, dion. celine dion have you seen celine dion in um, concert i went last year to las vegas to see her because she was ending her residency and i was like i've waited 10 years and mm. she's going to be done and then the second i got back she announces her world tour <laughs> so i was like were hey. you like front row i i was like three rows back i pretty much touched her it was oh. the greatest experience of my life once i stopped crying um i'm <laughs> you seeing were like her. a teenage girl i really was at my, an in-sync concert i went with my friend my girlfriend and i went and she's like take as she comes out on stage instead of watching her she's like videoing me hysterical crying i'm like stop i'm seeing her <laughs> tomorrow see i'm seeing her tomorrow in atlantic city i want to see that video and i'm seeing her in march so i'm seeing her twice in the next like two weeks but yes big celine dion fan um okay so other than celine, celine dion. dion i mean i think this is cliche and you know probably what everybody says but it really is my parents yeah everybody does say everybody that. does say that but because i mean my parents it's a very unique situation. I mean, they literally came here with nothing. They didn't speak. They were, they had really nice lives where they were from and they were educated. They had jobs, but they literally gave everything up. I mean, this is the American dream. They came here with no money. They came as political refugees because we're Jewish. They came with a suitcase, no money. They left all their 
you know, jewelry, money, homes, apartments, furniture, everything was left behind. They came here with nothing, one suitcase, no English language, re-educated themselves, worked like dogs, nothing ever handed to them, and really were able to give me an amazing life. I've never felt like I didn't have anything, like worked so hard to make sure I was provided for, that I was educated, that I could provide for my children. I mean, I always joke around that if somebody dropped me in the middle of like, I don't know, Korea or Vietnam or some random yeah. country that I wouldn't yeah. couldn't communicate with anybody. Like, I don't know that I would be able to survive. I don't know how they did what they did with what they had. And for that, I mean, that it's is, definitely them. That is pretty awesome. I have a hard time going to Paris for a week and not speaking oh, French. Yes, Paris sounds so horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? I know. I mean, it's like stressful when you're someplace when and you, you don't, don't speak know, the language. And you're thrown in and you have to get a job and earn money. Because, yeah, and I know? was there for fun. So I can't imagine actually living someplace and having to do everything that you need From to survive scratch. and not speaking the language and really understanding the culture. Yeah. So oh, that is really admirable. You're lucky that you have parents. They're like amazing. That. Well, I hope they listen to this and share it with their friends. <laughs> I hope they do listen to this because to that would be so them. nice for them to they hear that. They don't have any type of social media, so I'll have to oh. get it to them. Well, you'll figure it out. Okay, what would you tell your 20-year-old self? Um, party now because... <laughs> so your oats. Party more now because, you know, when your 34-year-old self goes to see bad boys for life and wishes you were still clubbing... Or just needs a night out with the girls. Yeah. Get it Do in you, now. I get tired. I mean, I'm in bed by 10. I mean, so am I. I and used it, to go out at 10. No, right. <laughs> like, we used to leave the house at 10, 30, yes. 11 o'clock. And that was normal time. And now it's like 9, 30. And I'm like, we're going to go where? Yeah, that would no. never happen now. But I don't know. There's once in a blue that, you know, I just have that urge to dance on top of a bar. <laughs> ah, all right. Now we're getting real. <laughs> or have you ever been on Girls Gone Wild? No, I have I'm just not. kidding. I'm just kidding. Okay. What would you tell other women who are thinking of starting their own law firm but are afraid? I would say that if you put your mind to it and you're not afraid of hard work and you are not afraid of some sleepless nights and worrying over things that are probably not within your control, <laughs> then you should do it. If it's going to make you happy, if you feel that this is what's going to make your ha make you happy and make you whole and give you the life that you want then I would encourage anybody to, I guess, follow their dreams. Because if you don't, then what's the alternative? Just be complacent and, you know, just Definitely. kind of keep trucking along. Do what you want to do and essentially corny, but like reach for the stars and do it. Yeah, if you, no, if you put I your love mind it. To do, if you put your mind to it, I think you can do anything. You get one life, right? Right. Do it right. For sure. Well, this was good. Thank you. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for sharing all your secrets with us. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Thanks for having me.